Hey there, are you sick and tired of feeling sick and tired? Join Adol Kozilski and Fagy Stern as they explore ways to reverse chronic illness and achieve vibrant health. Your health is your only wealth and together we can be better. Hashtag Healthy You, Wealthy You. Well, Shana Tova to everybody. It's the year 5784 and I'm looking forward to a very, very healthy year. Shana Tova, Fagy. Shana Tova, Adol. Thank you so much. I'm really super excited. We've got a great line of people coming up. And, uh, you know, all new beginnings, we always try to go and look for new things or ways that we can better our health. Thank you to everybody for all your feedback. Um, we really, really do appreciate it, and that's what gives us the fuel to continue the show. If there's any subject that you want to discuss, please be free to ask us, and we will try to source the right person just to look at our health in a more holistic way. You can ask for any topic on info at highfm.com, and while we're on the info at highfm.com, we run a WhatsApp group that is just admin-driven. We don't uh, spam it. You can put it on silent. But we try to motivate you every single day just to think about your health in a much, much broader manner. So we thought today one of the things that was a central theme, actually, um, particularly on Rosh Hashanah, was the idea of, of, um, of infertility and how people are suffering. Unfortunately, one in every seven women today is suffering with infertility. And whilst we have incredible IVF labs and incredible technology that can assist people in having healthy children, there is a, there is a much bigger discussion to have. And today, uh, we are going to be talking about what uh, role nutrition plays in infertility. Our guest today is Dania Folksman. She is a registered dietitian. She's passionate about the field of nutrition, and that led her to study further in nutrition and genetics with nutrition and hormonal health and nutrition therapy for fertility. Dania works in private practice and has a special interest in nutritional therapy for fertility. Advice and support for clients are grounded in evidence-based research and tailored to each individual's needs. And Dania's goal is to empower individuals and couples by helping them to optimize their nutrition and overall well-being so they can improve their chances of conceiving and achieving their reproductive goals. So if you have any questions, any comments, 34519 is our SMS number. 0618951019 is our telegram number. And without further ado, good morning, Dania. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here and excited to be here. Thank you. Right. So before we start on all our questions, and we've got lots of questions to ask you, um, just tell us a little bit about yourself and why did you specifically come into the, the, the speciality of looking at nutrition and everything it has to do with fertility? So I've always enjoyed um, how the body uses, I always found fascinating how the body uses nutrients um, to function and for all the, all the different processes in the body. I think it's really, really special and amazing how our bodies function. And especially when there's something missing or there's something that there's too much of, um, the the crazy effect that it can have on the body. Um, it's really, really all about like a very specific balance in the body um, in terms of what we need, um, in terms of nutrients. So I became a dietitian. And within that space, I was trying to find 
somewhere that I really, really was passionate about in terms of um, this focus on how the body uses nutrients. And thank God I found a passion in uh, in this area of of nutrition for fertility and the early early um, early life nutrition. Um, there's just so much information and there's so much evidence about how the tiniest nutrients can have the lo- the greatest far-reaching effect on the body and on the development of baby and just going on, just going forward. Um, there's just so many far-reaching effects on what we eat and what we don't eat can, can have an effect. And it's, it's just down to the most intricate detail. So fascinating. So it's, it's a pretty new topic, right? It's a new subject. It's not something that was around maybe a hundred years mm-hmm. ago. You have certain sources, particularly if you go look back and Torah tells what a pregnant woman should eat and not eat, but maybe just explain how did it develop into something now that, that, that you can specialize in. So we've always known, you know, in ter- not always, but we've known for a while in terms of safety of foods, what you should or shouldn't eat, just um, in terms of toxins like, you know, raw fish or uncooked um, meat or cheese. This field specifically looking at much more depth into how nutrients affect fertility is newer, but it's still, you know, 20 years old. It's been around. It's just South Africa. Yeah. It takes a bit longer for stuff to get you, but um, in Australia and America, you know, they've been busy with it for years and really are doing a lot of research and they are a fortune of Articles um, published in journals. I mean, when I try to find information on topics, there are just so many articles to read. So it's a new area, but it's also, you know, there's a lot to back it up. And it actually, um, the one of the the triggers for this field was actually during World War II, where there was um, a famine. It's called the Dutch famine. Essentially, because of German siege, um, there was an area that they didn't have food. There was a shortage of food for like a certain amount of months. And what they found from that, which was groundbreaking information, was the women who were pregnant at the time of this famine, that was in 1944 to 1945, their children and their children's children had um, health conditions that were directly linked to what the mom ate while she was pregnant. And they found that, you know, you always think the you know, if you're overweight and then you're, it will be negative for your children, but they actually found that the starvation and not having enough food and nutrients during that time resulted in those children who were in the womb at the time they were overweight, they had health conditions, they had heart conditions, they had a lot of mental um, um, issues in terms of development. And it, it just, it sort of made everyone notice that there is something here. And from there, they started to do more research. Why is what you eat during um, pregnancy going to affect and how, how much can it affect? And the scary part is that specifically for women, because a woman is born with all of her eggs, 
it wasn't just the children. It was the children's children who were affected in the long run. Um, so it gave rise to this concept of ep- epigenetics, which I don't have to explain to you, Adel, um, which is how how does the environment affect our genes? How does the what we eat and our behavior affect our genes? You know, it's not it's not set in stone. It's not you're born with this gene and that's it. Um, how are these things going to be presented, you know, in the real world? Um, and what are the influences of that? So it's a new area, but it goes back a long time. Okay, we're speaking to Daniel Folks, and we're going to be talking about nutrition specifically in the realm of pregnancy, children, fertility. If you have a question, 34519 is our SMS line. Our telegram line is 061 895-1019. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. We're speaking to Dania Falkson, a registered dietitian, and we're looking into the realm of fertility and nutrition. Dania, can we just go a little bit more into the epigenetics and understanding like the role of nutrition and pregnancy and fertility? Can you just explain to the listeners about epigenetics? Yes, for sure. So um, epigenetics is, to rephrase it, um, genetic programming. You know, um, we we get a set of genes in the body uh, when we're born. And for the most part, a lot of them, you know, that's what we have for life. But the term epigenetics is certain genes can almost be switched on or off or, you know, how, how much are they turned on or how much are they turned off? And, um, there's just a lot of, a lot of, um, evidence that our environment and what we eat, um, can really, really affect which genes are expressed. And what we find, what there's been a, a lot of research in is this concept called the first a thousand days, which is essentially it's 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 traditionally known as from the day of conception to this a child's second birthday is a window in a child's life where they are incredibly vulnerable to this like almost programming um and in terms of nutrition what whatever a child is exposed to and their environment and behavior as well in this time really really sets them up for the rest of their life in terms of health, physical, emotional, mental, various areas of development, you know, their social ability is obviously not completely limited, but it's, there's, it's just a huge, huge um, area of their life where they're very, very vulnerable. And like I said, generally it's, it's seen to be from the day of conception. So um, pregnancy is really important. But what we're finding now is that it goes before that. It goes before a child is conceived. It goes to um, the quality of the egg and the sperm months before a child is conceived. That that DNA, the health of that cell, can have very far-reaching effects on the health of a baby, on um, complications during pregnancy, you know, the risk of when they'll be born, will they be preterm, will they be full term? And for the rest of their life, the risks for health conditions and and their development. 
But so, can we zoom in then? You, you know, it's interesting that that number one, you said that it was from conception till two, and now we're talking about the health before conception, and that you know parents um, can affect their own DNA, their own sperm and egg. Can we can we talk practically? Like, what does that mean? What what should people be looking at, or what should people be doing before conception? That will maximize um, or play a a role in 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 a healthy conception. And if I can just add to that question, is do, does it mean then that a person should understand what their genetic like makeup is in order to be healthy? Do they have to know what their nutrient status is? Do they have to take blood tests? Do they you know not just okay? Yeah, everyone eat healthy. It's like okay, fine. Do you have the MTHFR gene? Do you have specific genes that you need to go and you know, turn off in order to conceive? So to answer Faggy's question first, um, I think it's, that's a, it's, it's a big conversation that, you know, should everyone know exactly their genetic sort of makeup, where they stand? Uh, some people want to know, some people don't want to know. For the most part, um, knowing can give you a sense of, okay, what I do with this information. I mean, and even, Ada works with in the sense of once you know what the problem is, you know how to go forward with it. It's actually empowering. It's more empowering than scary. Yes, you see those scary things, but then at least you know what you could do with it. So it depends on the person. Some people don't have any, you know, physical issues. There's no symptoms. There's no, like, real concerns. Um, For people who are really finding that, bloods are showing certain things or there's a reason to get blood tests done or there's a reason to check for genetic issues, you know, you would definitely, definitely do investigations further. And upon investigations, there are certain recommendations specific to the MTHFR gene and other issues. For someone who's not presenting with, with you know, a lot of clinical signs, I think it is worthwhile to investigate, but it depends on the person. There are de- definitely um, things that can be done for your general population of people that will, will affect them and will help them, but it, it will be more effective knowing the genetic differences between people, really, really, really knowing um, the makeup and really, really understanding a diagnosis. It will be more empowering and it will be more effective in treating but for people who don't want to go down that route there are other recommendations that we can make so to go back to the first question um yeah for leading up to to conception both the egg cells and sperm cells once those those have conceived and, and formed a, a embryo you know, there's nothing else to do there. It just has to grow. You can't affect the DNA. It, it's it's done. Um, but leading up to it for a few months, you know, it's not the week before. For a few months, there is a lot that can be done. Um, those cells, it's not necessarily that you can affect the DNA, you know, what color of someone's eyes. But the health of, of that DNA, is it scrambled? Is it, you know for lack of a better word, easy to read by the body, is the cell itself healthy? And things like how much alcohol we drink and exposure to toxins, 
um, like pesticides, heavy metals, exposure to stress. I mean, stress is a bit, we think stress is just an emotional and mental issue, but there are physical ramifications of stress. Um, you actually can see under microscope the damage that can be done to, to egg and sperm cells. And when I say stress, there is the mental and physical, but there is also the the mental and emotional, but there's also the physical. So the foods we eat can also put stress and, and damage egg and sperm cells, such as unhealthy fats. You know, eating a lot of fried foods and donuts and, and hot dogs is not going to be helpful for an egg and sperm to really develop and grow optimally. While things like making sure you're eating lots of fruit and vegetables, lots of um, plant-based proteins like legumes and nuts and seeds, making sure we're having good protein, you know, not just something that's been processed and put in the freezer, but um, a combination of meat, chicken, eggs, dairy, fish. These things really all do do have an effect for months before for babies conceived. And, and and it does come down to the specific person. Um everyone has their own eating habits and and patterns. And and not everyone has to be on the exact same regimen of what to have for breakfast, lunch and supper. But there there is certainly recommendations that can be made and guidelines that people can follow just to to ensure the health of the egg and sperm cells. I think I want to add in something here, and this comes obviously from 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 personal experience. But I think that one of the things that has to be said is that when you are young, in your in in, in your young years, and in, in your twenties and your thirties, your body tends to have a lot more resilience to fighting the toxins, the the, the food, the, all, all the all the stuff that actually makes us sick. And then obviously, as you get older, you actually see the repercussions of it. Now, you know, we're talking about the balance of should you get tested before, what should you do before even falling pregnant and then through pregnancy. Um, just from a personal basis, I thought it was like a healthy, bouncing, running around, energetic, you know, uh, 20-year-old. Uh, I felt pregnant and I nearly lost my life in my pregnancy because I had preeclampsia. Now, in Again, in 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 the the allopathic world, eclampsia that they, they know the symptoms or whatever it is, and they will treat you for it. Um, but nobody ever educated me, and I went through three bad pregnancies um, before I got educated in the fact that my body wasn't a good um, haven for a pregnancy. Okay, simply why? Because I was eating garbage. I was doing exactly what you're telling everybody not to do. Now, if somebody had even educated me. After my first pregnancy, it would have, you know, saved me a lot of trauma and a lot of trouble, a lot of heartache. Um, if somebody had gone and said, clean out your diet, take away the toxins, you know, do all of these things because when you are young, you just, you, you feel that you, you, you're immortal, you know, it really doesn't matter if you have that smoke, have that alcohol. I was doing smoking and alcohol. I was just eating rubbish. I was just eating, you know, fast food, whatever came, was at university, just, you know, taking, going and getting a Sprite and a, a bar of Cadbury's chocolate for, for, for lunch. And that was okay because it just gave me the energy and I moved on. But it had a huge reper, uh, uh, repercussion on my fertility life. And, and, and it came with a lot of trauma and a lot of heartache. It's just simply because I never had that education. I just wasn't even aware of it. 
to go a step back also is like you're talking about the food you talk about people that want to become pregnant never mind the people that are pregnant and how to keep their pregnancy healthy and how, how to keep your own body healthy but like the education like what Daniel's trying to explain is someone having to fall pregnant the the nutrition that has such a huge effect on falling pregnant yeah exactly and that's really really hard that you went through that Ada and like it's, it's it is crazy but you do hear a lot of stories like that where people seemingly fine and you know undergo all these really really difficult challenges and situations and it comes with a lot of a lot of a lot of heartache like you said um it's a difficult one because people assume that eating healthy means you're on a diet and you're trying to lose weight and it's I think in our society the lines have become a bit blurred in terms of what's healthy it doesn't mean you can never have chocolate and it doesn't mean you can never have a Sprite if you if you really need one um and it doesn't mean that you're try, trying to lose 10 kilos um and foods that are seen as healthy in some areas are not seen as healthy in other areas so it can also be very confusing you know what to eat like people have this have the other extreme of of trying to eat so clean when trying to fall pregnant and for fertility that it's actually at their detriment as well, you know. Just trying to eat greens, just vegetables, isn't going to, you know, achieve the desired effects either. There's that middle ground, there's that balance of you do have to have enough food and you have to have enough nutrients um, from different sources and and, and and very often extreme dieting and, and, and trying to be healthy in that sense can actually have the opposite effect. So I think it's very confusing for people. I find it confusing within myself. Um, and that is why education is really, really important and, and creating awareness about what actually is healthy to eat when you're trying to fall pregnant, while you're pregnant, beyond just, you know, weight and calories. Um and beyond just, I can never have, I can never touch a certain food. Yeah, the it, I find it a confusing topic, and there is a lot let, to to unpack there. Let, let's segue into pregnancy. Okay, so so before pregnancy, you know, we're saying that at least for like a couple of months before that, you know, somebody embarks on just trying to clean out their environment, clean out their food, etc. When it comes to falling pregnant and, 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 you know, having a healthy pregnancy, then there's this whole argument where, you, where you're looking at the pregnant woman. Some people completely let go and say, well, I'm going to eat whatever I want to eat now. And you are hungry because, some, you know, you do have a living being within you that, so to speak, is leeching from your energy. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you land up then with the repercussion afterwards that you put on 20 kilos. You, you hear that all the time. Like, where's the middle ground? What what advice can you give people who are pregnant as to what they should be doing and how they should be managing the pregnancy that, number one, they're, they're giving the optimal health to the, the, the fetus that's growing? And also for them, not at the end to, to, to come off pregnancy and go, okay, now look at, look at me. Like, I'm 25 kilos more because mm. – I just ate them, you know, maybe in a, a less controlled manner than I should have. Like, again, I think there's a middle ground. Can we speak to that? Yes, for sure. So once pregnant, there's there's a whole new, you know, family of, of issues. You know, every woman has different side effects. And side effects are dealt with differently. You know, some people have nausea. 
they can't eat anything. Some people eat everything. Um, and the same applies to vomiting and reflux. And it's, it's really, really a specific, you know, each person has their own experience with it and, and there are ways to manage it. But I think the key is, is the balance. So first of all, it is important to be a healthy weight when falling pregnant, almost to try alleviate that extreme, you know, trying to be, um, super, super, you know, within a certain weight bracket before pregnancy can sometimes, you know, cause someone to maybe go overboard when pregnant. And just in general, in terms of what the baby needs and the fetus needs is to be a healthy weight before falling pregnant. That means not too low, not too high. And it is very specific to each person. And it is a challenge because everyone has their own cravings throughout pregnancy. It's, 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 it's nine months or 10 months. It's a long time. And it's not to say that one can't have the nice things that they want, but it is very important to be mindful of the fact that it's not just growing a baby, but giving the baby nutrients that they are going to, that's going to affect them for the rest of their life. Now, what we eat during that time really, really has far-reaching effects. And it, it, it does come down to that balance of, of having, there is going to be weight gain. You know, it's not something that we need to, to, to discourage people from, from, from doing, but there can be a limit and the, the, it can be very hard as well. When, when after pregnancy, people are now 20, 25 kilos overweight and it's very debilitating and they don't feel good about themselves and, you know, it's not congruent with who they were before the pregnancy and, and everyone does react differently. So each person in their own, um, in their own experience should really prioritize what they're eating in terms of the quality of their work they're eating and, and, and the far reaching effects. Is there, is there supplements that you suggest that people be taking and should, should some people be taking more than others or different types of supplements? So for the most part, you know, there are some great pregnancy supplements on the market and a lot of doctors, and I agree with this, will recommend that people trying to fall pregnant take those supplements as well, leading up to conception. Um, a lot of the nutrients that we need during pregnancy, we also need leading up to pregnancy. There are certain situations where someone may need more than someone else. And there are also situations where food can actually be a better alternative than just taking, you know, just walking into this game and looking at the shelf and buying 10 of the first ones that you see. Supplements have, they interact with each other, they interact with medicines. More isn't always better. You know, there is a, there is a sweet spot for, for each, for each supplement, for each nutrient that we take. It, it doesn't mean that you, you need to be overdosing on, you know, thousands and thousands of milligrams of vitamin C. Um, it's very, very specific. So it is important to, to, to listen to medical guidance. Um, beyond just, you know, I do encourage taking like a pregnancy supplement prior to pregnancy. And if someone does know about a gene that they have, such as the MTHFR gene, it is important to look at specific forms of 
of, for example, folic acid, um, specific forms such as methylated folate and, and certain products which are more, um, pure or, or better developed and better absorbed by the body. So it's not just going to cure all to take 50 supplements in the morning. Um, food is always best, but there is definitely place for it as well. Okay. We're speaking to Daniel Falkson and we're talking about nutrition specifically when it comes to fertility. Join us. 34519 is the SMS line. 0618951019 is our SMS line. I mean, our telegram line. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. Daniel, maybe can, is there a specific diet that is the fertility diet? Thank you. It's a good question. There's a lot of discussion on this as well. For your, for your general population, um, the Mediterranean diet gets a lot of, a lot of points. Um, it covers a lot of bases. Um, and it's just generally, like I said, for your general population, a very good guideline on how to eat. Um, it's inclusive of all the food groups. But encourages a lot of, you know, healthy fish intake of your oily fish, uh, lots of nuts and seeds, whole grains, lots of fruit and vegetables. It does encourage meat, but limited and, um, dairy as well, but that is low fat. So the Mediterranean diet for the most part is really good at treating inflammation and assisting with a lot of disease conditions. But everyone is different. People have different preferences and and um, medical histories. And it, it's not so simple that there's a fertility diet. Um, some people will swear by, you know, being vegan or being keto or half fat or low carb or um, even gluten free. There's a lot of talk about what's the best diet. But it really is not so simple. You know, when you look at someone's blood and their diagnosis um, and you see the results of, of these tests, it's a lot easier to understand what the body needs and what the body does not want. And everyone's different. You know, the guidelines that everyone should have this exact amount every day doesn't work because everyone is different and everyone's bodies work differently. Um, but the, for the most part, any extreme of cutting out a food group or or having an excessive amount of another food group, I find to approach with a lot of caution because by cutting out something, you're cutting out a nutrient that the body needs. We may not be able to see it or feel it, but the body needs a nutrient from a certain food group, which is essential for fertility. When you speak about something like, um, you know, being a vegan or vegetarian and someone that doesn't have enough of the meats or enough of the proteins, so you're not getting the omegas, you're not getting the B12s, you're not yeah. getting exactly. you know, the vitamin Ds, you know, that you need, the, the B vitamins that you need. And it's actually like, I mean, Adel, is what we discuss all the time. I, I mean, I, I, I love eating and I love eating healthy foods. Um, I mean, for the most part, I try to eat as, as healthy as I can. But even for someone like myself, I go and have my blood done. I'm still deficient in vitamin D. Mm-hmm. I'm still deficient in certain nutrients that I still have to supplement with. And I'm, I'm out in the sun can, as much as I can. And I have as many vegetables and fruits as I can. And I have as much protein mm-hmm. as I can. 
But in the end of the day, like I still have to supplement. Yes, and a lot of people will have to because genetically or for other reasons, if there's a food you don't like or maybe there's a food that's not in your diet, some people do have to to supplement. Um, but you know we want to make sure that the diet is 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 full with nutrients first and then supplement, not the other way around. You don't want to be eating yeah. simple chips and then you know taking all, all the supplements. But if, for every different person, healthy eating looks different. It's it's not across the board, you know, the same thing. An example of that is like you're saying with the vegetarian or vegan, you know. It helps a lot of things. It can really be beneficial for a lot of people in weight loss and, and managing heart conditions. But when you look at the nutrients that you are eliminating from by being a vegetarian, for example, such as from meat or chicken, looking at iron, you're looking at zinc, you're looking at your B12, you're looking at um, even sources of folic acid. It needs to be taken with caution that, you know, there are pros and cons to both. And we love legumes. I love legumes. They're great for you. They're very healthy. Lentils, legumes, nuts, seeds, all your plant-based proteins are fantastic. Um, and that's a really, really, really good part of the vegan vegetarian diet. But we do need to acknowledge that by eliminating dairy, by eliminating eggs and meat and chicken, one is also eliminating nutrients, which specifically in this area of fertility does, does have a huge effect. Another example is like gluten-free. Now, some people who have celiac disease, it's it's a no-brainer, no-brainer. But for someone who doesn't have celiac disease, by cutting out sources of gluten, one could also be cutting out other sources of nutrients that are really, really important, such as folic acid. So um, healthy eating I isn't a specific topic. I, I like, I'm, I'm a big fan of being gluten-free. <laughs> Um, more for my brain than anything. It really has an effect on my emotional state. But when it comes to, it's interesting that you say that when it comes to folic acid and gluten, because majority of the foods that, that do have gluten are actually fortified with folic acid. So the companies actually go and put the folic acid into the breads and into the cereals. Mm. So they're almost like just basically putting the vitamin into the, into the food. You may as well just take the vitamin itself. Yes, yes, but what we don't realize is is the quantity quantity of what we're getting just by eating those foods. We're not, we're not even thinking about it. And the other side of that is that because a lot of gluten free products aren't regulated as much, they aren't fortified as much necessarily. Um, and if they would be, it would be great. But we we haven't reached that point where a lot of your gluten free products are fortified. Um, and it's a difficult balance, you know, mental health versus physical health. One needs to find the balance of what works for both. If if gluten-free is something that works for someone in a certain capacity, then we need to figure out ways to supplement the diet. Doing it for no reason, just because someone said, you know, on a blog that it's the right diet for fertility is not the not the way. Same thing goes. Some people swear by a vegan diet. They said that all their aches and pains disappeared overnight. Hundred percent, go with that. You know they know their body better than anyone else. Um, but it's not a cure all for everyone. It doesn't work for everyone. It's a very individual, individual process. We're speaking to Danya Folkson, and we're looking at nutrition and fertility. This is one hundred one point nine High FM. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kasilski and Fagy Stern.
I guess you could talk for another hour. We only have a couple of minutes left. Dania, just before we end it off, just let's quickly talk about things that seem to, to, to uh, inhibit uh, pregnancy, particularly when it comes to polycystic um, uh, ovarian syndrome and all of those type of things. Is that, is that diet related as well? Yes, you mean, are you referring to the different diseases that, or like diagnosis that can affect the fertility? Yes. Okay, so, yeah, unfortunately we have, there are a few disease conditions such as polycystic ovarian syndrome and endometriosis, um, and even things like thyroid disease, diabetes, and celiac disease can all, unfortunately, have a negative effect on fertility. And they do represent themselves differently. Um, some can be a cause of miscarriage. Some can be a cause of, you know, ovulation issues. So there's definitely a role that nutrition can play in these areas. It gets, that obviously gets a bit more challenging the more diseases present and the more limitations. Um, but there is a lot of, a lot of, um, reason to, to think that nutrition can help all of these things. For example, polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, a hallmark of the, of the condition is insulin resistance. Um, and a lot of people are put on medication to manage that, to try regulate hormones and to get proper and regular ovulation. But what we eat can also have an effect. For example, like I mentioned before, plant-based proteins, are great source of both um uh whole grain low GR uh starch um with a lot of fiber and it also has protein and eating just one extra meal of legumes or lentils a week, you know, having a meatless Monday or vegetarian <laughs> vegetarian taco Tuesday, I don't know. Um <laughs> can help. I think also within those legumes, there's also the, the amino acids, you know, yes. and the minerals that we don't get in, in the usual foods. Exactly. So um, exactly. There's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of nutrients and people often try not to go for legumes like, and chickpeas and, and soya because there's a lot of, well, soya is bad for you and there's a lot of, but you know, chickpeas are, are really high calorie and fattening. And I want to try break through that, like sort of, those like walls against those foods to say, okay, there's a lot of calories in chickpeas. You don't have to have the whole ten, but um, it's a really, really good source of, pro- of protein and 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 fiber and starch, and it's really shown to help ovulation. Other things like eating more greens. You know, everyone has their two vegetables in the fridge that they that they have every day, but cr- increasing the variety, having more green veggies. Unfortunately, potato and sweet potato are not vegetables. Um, so having a lot more vegetables, specifically green vegetables and all of the different colors. Having dairy, you know, some people say there, there's evidence to suggest that dairy can be beneficial for, for polycystic ovarian syndrome. It may not be for everyone, especially if someone has lactose intolerance. But in something like folic acid, even if that means supplementing with folic acid, has shown to to also improve symptoms in the presentation of polycystic. Um, those are just a few examples, but there's definitely a lot a lot that that can be done with the situation with those with those conditions. So what I'm hearing you say, though, what I'm hearing you say overall, and I think it's a it's a very strong message out there. Number one, we need to educate ourselves 
and understand that what we are eating and, and our environment around us is affecting us, particularly now when it comes to a person considering pregnancy, being pregnant. Um, and one of the ways to educate is to actually find somebody who can guide you specifically. And I heard a lot, uh, Danya, you saying that it, it, it is an individualized conversation. If somebody wants to get hold of you, how can they? Um, I've got a website, um, fertilitydietitian.co.za, or you can email me at info at com, or you can find me on Facebook or Instagram. Um, but yeah, definitely it's, it's a personalized approach and it's a personalized journey and it's very different for everyone. Thank you so much for your time and for your insight. And, um, uh, you know, hopefully this will help. Like, geez, if I just had that education, I'm not going to call about the education, but I'm making it up now, 30 years later. Absolutely. Thank you for everybody for joining us. This is the Healthy You Wealth You Show, and this is 101.9 High FM.